1: Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an
2: Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI.
1: Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app,
2: Apple podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio.
3: Do you remember? Okay, first of all, were you more of a, a bikini or one piece or t shirt person? And secondly, do you remember the first time you like wore a bikini? So, of course, as a child, I would wear the two piece
1: because mm-hmm. my mom bought those for me. They're really cute. I really like them. That would probably be my first bikini, even though it's not technically. Right, I guess in that same level, but it is a two-piece. And Mm -hmm. I loved it because it was bright pink and bright yellow and bright orange, which surprisingly, I loved those colors. I don't know why when I was a kid. (laughs) Then as Uh an adult, it took me a long time to wear a bathing suit and I absolutely was the shorts and t shirt person. Mm-hmm. And I made sure it was extra large. I made sure that I, like, I would wear sports bra, but I would rarely get in the water around people because I was so self-conscious of my body. After a little while, uh, I finally just kind of was like, you know what, screw this. And I bought a really cute, like the high-waisted bikini because I really liked them. And I've now graduated to tankinis. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Because I
1: really, really adore that. But I just recently bought a pair of the little uh, swim shorts that's not, I think it's shorter than what the uh, Norwegian handball team wore. Mm-hmm. I know I'm referencing current events right now. It's actually shorter <laughs> than that, but I really uh-huh. love it. And it's really comfortable. And then I have a larger, like s- a second piece, a top where it kind of billows mm-hmm. out like a t-shirt, but it's still the back is open and everything. And I'm like, yeah, Dad, this is up my alley. Mm-hmm. So it took me a while to get there to finally not care what I'm wearing. But yeah, it took a long time.
3: Yeah. I think uh, you referenced the Norwegian handball team, which is the reason I wanted to bring this up. Um, because I have been thinking about it for a while. I, was generally I wore one pieces or like two pieces, but the the torso was completely covered until I got into high school. And it was like, there's almost a judgment if you did that, of you weren't comfortable enough with your body. Um, so I started wearing bikinis, but I hated it. And mm-hmm. like I cried the first time I tried one on because I was so self-conscious. And I just felt like gross in my body. And I felt like everyone was judging me, which they probably weren't, but I felt like they were. And then I continued to do it because I felt like not doing it was cowardly. And I say that in heavy quotes because that's a messed up thought, but that's how I felt. Right, right. But then like, I got to a point where I felt comfortable enough, but it, it did still feel like a sexual thing where it shouldn't have been a sexual thing. But it felt like you were like showing off your body, which can be fine like if you're totally into that. But if you're just... I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. Right. That's not what I was into. (laughs) But now I've become like a t-shirt person, like just a long t-shirt. But in general, that's just become my outfit since the pandemic. It was just a long t-shirt. Fair. But I have become... I think a lot of us, and we've talked about that before, because I have gained weight during the pandemic, and I have become like less confident than I was prior to it. So I just like t-shirts and I won't even have to deal with it. Which all of this is, there's a lot of unhealthy stuff to unpack there because I think many of us experience this. And as we are going through this controversy in the Olympics, the sexualization of outfits, where these professional athletes are like by rule supposed to wear essentially bikini bottoms if they're women for no real athletic reason. And I was reading the accounts of of women saying, like, can you imagine having your professional out outfit being sexualized and how it's turned people away? And I I was like, yeah, this is I don't I don't know why I've just accepted this for so long as like a normal thing, but it's, yeah, it is weird, and like it would make me feel uncomfortable if I was playing a sport on international television. And I was wearing something that I was uncomfortable in and felt sexualized in. I'm sure that they would train in that. But for me, that would distract me and make mm-hmm. me feel it would take me out of it at least a right. little bit. Right. Which is ridiculous. Absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> we wanted to look into the history of the bikini in this classic episode. And we hope that you enjoy. <laughs> Welcome to
2: Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
4: Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Kristen. This is Molly. Molly, this is something that I don't really like to say, even though it's fact, but it just sounds so cheesy when you say it out loud. I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. Molly? Yes? It's swimsuit season. Oh, I know. and.
5: I groaned automatically. It was just ingrained in me to start groaning.
4: I know, because a lot of times it's swimsuit season is followed by some kind of thing telling women about how they need to shape up and get rid of all their cellulite so They won't disgust people when they reveal their pale bodies to the world.
5: Yeah, there's all sorts of body issues
4: inherent in saying that Mm -hmm. it's swimsuit season. But we're not going to talk about body issues today. We're just going to focus on those pieces of cloth that stir up both men and women alike. Every summer, the bikini, the bikini.
5: And I just want to give you a sneak peek of this podcast, where we're going with this. By the end of it, Kristen is going to point out that the bikini is the ultimate feminist icon. Whoa, I know. Is your mind blown? I didn't see
4: that coming. I didn't either. I didn't know I was going to do that. I've got some work to do then in the next 20 minutes. All right, Molly, let's get started because the history of the bikini, as the title of this podcast implies, ain't so skimpy. Yes, more coverage than you would thought possible with the bikini. So many puns to be had in this episode. We need to go back in time, Molly. We need to go back B.C., I did not realize this, Molly, but the first recorded use of a form of bathing costume was in Greece in 350 B.C. And there's actually a fourth century mosaic wall in the Piazza Armarina, probably saying that, wish I could do an Italian accent, uh, in Sicily, depicting women wearing bikinis. Mm hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. But
5: as ancient Rome falls and the Greeks and all the ancient civilizations die out, there comes the rise of prudishness and shame regarding one's body.
4: And no one went swimming. Yeah, they would go bathing, you know, but not recreationally swimming like we think of swimming today. During the 18th century, they'd have spas where men and women would go, you know, to to the public bathhouses, maybe go take a steam. It was very
5: therapeutic. It was medicinal. It Mm -hmm. was not like, let's go splash around in the water. So, it may seem like we made a huge jump from like BC to the 18th century, but I mean, for a long time swimming was was frowned upon.
4: Yeah. It just wasn't something it, it was not the quintessential summer activity as it is today. But by the mid-1800s, we have the rise of bathing as a recreational activity. And then in the early 1800s with the rise of bathing or swimming, we can now call it, I guess, uh, we have the emergence of swimwear. Cause you need, you can't just walk into the water with a full suit on and, and expect to have a good swim. Can you, Molly? Well, that's what they expected the ladies to do. That's right.
5: Because. First swimsuits for women were essentially just like ball gowns. I mean, not really, but it was a lot of cloth. And to avoid the, uh, poofy ballooning of a skirt that could happen as you get in the water, they would weigh down. They put weights in the hems of the skirt to make sure that, you know, you weren't going to show any shin. You know, the shin is the most erotic part of the leg. So you must hide it at all times. And I don't know about you, Kristen, but Swimming with weights on doesn't sound like much fun. No, it doesn't. It sounds sound like, like much a recipe fun. for disaster. Yeah.
4: And a uh, fun side, side note to all of this. We actually have the railroad to thank for all the swimwear being invented because it was with the railroad that people could actually flock to the seasides to go to the beach, thus popularizing the beach activities, thus necessitating other bathing suit.
5: Now, in addition to weighting down the, the, the swimming dress, Uh, They just went to all sorts of lengths to make sure that women never had to be seen in a bathing costume. There was this one cool thing that Slate pointed out where it was like a a dressing room on wheels. Mm -hmm. And you'd put the woman in the dressing room on wheels. She'd put on her bathing dress and they would wheel her in the little room like down to the ocean so she could get in the ocean without anyone seeing her. And she could have a dip. And when she was ready to get out, they'd wheel the thing up. And pick her up and take her back so she could
4: put her clothes on. And this was actually called a bathing machine.
5: Yeah. And it's, you know, women just could not be seen on a beach.
4: Yeah, it was a very, it was a very private thing, which makes sense. This was the Victorian era, the height of prudishness. Uh, but then we have some, some women who are really tired of being weighted down in the water. Cause first of all, it was probably dangerous and probably really hard to tread water. Well, as they pointed out, some women died. Mm hmm. Um, But then in 1907, we have Australian swimmer and silent film star, Annette Kellerman, who has had enough. Well, she needed to swim for for
5: therapeutic reasons because she had had polio and rickets. Mm -hmm. And so she started swimming to make her legs strong. And she was like, hey, by the way, it's really hard to make my legs strong when I can't move them with all these like pantaloons and weighted down skirts and the like that you're making me wear. So she shows up in America on a Boston beach and wears uh what we would think of today as a pretty modest swimsuit. It was like a tank top that, you know, had no cutouts. So she's not showing any chest. Mm-hmm. She's showing bare arms, but, you know, she's pretty much
4: covered from neck to thigh, essentially. Yeah, and this is in 1907, and she is arrested for her swimsuit at a public beach beach in Boston for indecent exposure.
5: Can you imagine?
4: No, I mean, if that's indecent exposure, just imagine if those 1907 policemen could travel through time to a 2010 beach. Yowza! If only they had our time-traveling capabilities that we have on this podcast. Yeah, technology these days. Now, Molly, we would be remiss in this discussion if we didn't mention Agnes Beckwith and Annette Kellerman, because there were two other women who really helped pave the way for allowing women to... Go swimming in public without having to worry about revealing their bodies, you know, and being arrested for indecent exposure and all this stuff. Um, and Beckwith, for instance, uh, raced. In the water, she swam against other guys. She uh, raced four miles from London Bridge to Greenwich, and she did that while wearing the full-skirted dress, petticoats, pantaloons, and stockings, kind of demonstrating that even with all of that swimming costume on, she could still keep up with the guys. She was just as strong as one of the guys. And then we also have American Amelia Bloomer, who instituted uh, the Bloomers, We are aware of the the clothing bloomers named after her that she started wearing to replace having to wear the full skirt Mm -hmm. when she swam.
5: So now we're in the early 1900s, Kristen. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the contribution of someone like Beckwith is she shows that swimming is a sport. It needs a sports like costume. And so, yes, those full bathing dresses gradually faded away. Eventually, those huge bloomer pants eventually faded away and you could wear respectably. A one piece thing that covered you know fr- you from your your neck basically to your mid thigh.
4: Yeah, and and a lot of that had to do with uh, Annette Kellerman's arrest because that set off kind of a whole controversy of well should she have been arrested for that is yeah. that really indecent exposure and so that opened the door for you know saying no that's ridiculous women are drowning in weighted down dresses.
5: So that brings the rise of what's known as the mayo. Yeah, and
4: by 1915 this was what. American women were commonly wearing.
5: Now, let me just spell my for you in case you want to like Google images of them, because there are so many types of them. It's M-A-I-L-L-O-T. It's the French word for swaddling clothes, because when I think of bathing suits, I think of swaddling clothes. <laughs> um But, you know, they were they kind of varied in size and style. So you could wear one that really covered you up. You could wear one that was a little bit more risque and one piece is. The, the term one piece has pretty much replaced Mayo, but essentially if you're wearing a one piece, it's a Mayo. Yes.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply.
1: This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6
2: million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs.
1: Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com
2: or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC
1: Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands not
2: banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life.
1: PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865.
2: Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a National Association, member FDIC.
4: Now into the 20s and 30s, we do have the emergence of the two-piece not the bikini though, people. Two pieces is a separate thing from the bikini because these two pieces covered up the navel. They would, they would come up and sit pretty high up on, on your natural waist. And, uh, then you would have a, a pretty, pretty cover, pretty solid covering for the top to, uh, to make this this two piece. And uh, and <laughs> I love this. By the end of the 1920s, we had a lot of different novelty suits that were associated with two pieces. So you'd have like a sailor themed suit or maybe a, a leopard printed suit. Like they really went wild with this with with these new this new swimwear
5: provided you didn't see the navel. And that's what I think is so funny. I mean, everyone has a belly button. Mm-hmm. You know, but largely Hollywood influenced this because the Hollywood Hayes Code prohibited actresses from showing their navel, yeah, and so I mean, you think about all those starlets who are wearing those two pieces they you know were they they seem so sexy, but they're not showing their belly
4: button of all things mm-hmm. now i sh- should mention that uh in the thirties, we do have the arrival of the Bauhaus, but the Bauhaus is probably not something that you have ever really seen on many beaches because the Bauhaus style was basically a pair of swim trunks with suspenders for the top. Very naughty.
5: <laughs> it's Kristen's favorite bathing suit style. The Bauhaus style. Shall you be sporting it this summer? I shall not. <laughs> All right. You know what? It's the history of the bikini. We need to jump ahead to 1946. We yes. just need to do it, Kristen.
4: Smiley, in order to make the leap to bikini, we've got to leap across the Atlantic Ocean and go to France.
5: Great. And in France, two men independently of each other came up with the idea for the bikini. We've got Jacques Heim and Louis Reard. I don't know how to give
4: that a French, a French twist. Now, according to Kelly Ben Simone, and that name might ring a bell to any other fans of the Real Housewives of New York City. But uh, according to Kelly ben Simone, who wrote the book, actually a good book, called The Bikini Book that traces the history of the bikini, um, she says that attractive women back then were known as bombshells, we know this, and anything intense was atomic. So the bombshell atomic lingo of the day. So the two Frenchmen, while they're deciding what to call their new skimpy swimwear, they decide to give them nuclear nicknames. So Jacques Heim called his swimsuit the Atom, A T O M E, like Atom Bomb. And then Louis Reard introduced on July 4th, 1946 Le Bikini. And that's because the United States had started atomic testing on the bikini atoll.
5: Right. So essentially the bikini is named after bomb testing.
4: Yeah, so... That's so weird. It is really odd. There is a connection between bikinis and... Bombs. Bombs. Atom bombs. But he thought
5: his invention was going to be as revolutionary as the bomb.
4: Now, I think we should say, though, that when Reard wanted to introduce his bikini to the public, he couldn't get models to put it on. It was too risque. So instead he had to hire stripper Micheline Bernardini. That's my terrible French accent. Uh, Micheline Bernardini uh, was a stripper who was enlisted to model it. And photos of her in this bikini just circulated throughout the world, and the bikini became a sensation. First of all, of course, it was totally scandalized in the U.S. And personally, I would have scandalized it, too, because no offense, Micheline, but it kind of looks like you're wearing a string diaper. Yes. Kristen was not a fan of the first bikini. It was not the most flattering thing. And uh
5: so, yeah, it was very scandalous. As, as Kristen said, no models would wear it. And in the U.S., one swimsuit designer said that this was only for French women because they were so short. Mm-hmm. I, it was just the only thing they could do to even make it look like they had any sort of body at all.
4: But then, uh, in the 50s, early 50s, we have the arrival of Bridget Bardot. And Bardot looks uh, fantastic in a bikini. And she has very long legs. And uh, so there goes that argument out the window. And gradually, they just become more and more popular.
5: Well, there's the rise of the private pool. Yeah. So you don't have to go, you know, the swimsuit comes into vogue because we can all take the railroads and go to the beach. Now you can swim in your own backyard and no one needs to see that you are wearing something that's considered vulgar and only worn by crude, you know, European types.
4: But even in 1957, and this is according to an article that we found in Slate, there was an issue of the magazine Modern Girl that said it's hardly necessary to erase words over the so-called bikini since it's inconceivable that any girl with tact and decency would ever wear such a thing.
5: So even though, you know, 1957, no girl would wear such a thing, by 1965, in Time Magazine, everyone reports wearing them. So it's a very quick adoption. They go from being very vulgar to very accepted extremely quickly.
4: Yeah. In 1967, Time Magazine features a survey claiming that 65% of young women had already gone over to bikinis.
5: And part of that, again, was Hollywood's influence. Once those codes were relaxed, someone could, you know, gasp, show a navel on the movies. Think about, like, the James Bond movie where she comes out of the water in that gold bikini. I mean, there are very, uh, strong image, images associated with bathing suits in the
4: 1960s. Oh yeah. Raquel Welsh, One Million Years BC. Yeah, that's, that's quite a, uh, a bikini bod. But with all this talk about bikinis, Molly, There's one thing that we haven't talked about yet, and that's Sports Illustrated.
5: Now, as I said at the beginning, you could make the argument, as Kristen did, that the bikini is a pretty empowering piece of clothing because it allows you to be free and go swimming. And you're not hindered by, you know, your bloomers or your bathing machine. I do think that body issues aside that you can tie into it. It
4: is a pretty cool thing that finally
5: women were allowed to just swim Unencumbered.
4: Yeah, because once again, as this often happens in my podcast research, the notion that I had going into learning about bikinis was different than the notion that I had coming out of it. Because when we think of bikinis today, I feel like it's so loaded with body issues and fulfilling the male gaze and things like Sports Illustrated and overemphasis on breast size. All of this stuff without really appreciating this history and the struggle for women to literally cast off all of this extra clothing so that they could swim right alongside men and not be literally and metaphorically, Molly, weighted down by the constraints of a heteronormative society. Yeah, you get to go to the beach and actually enjoy your vacation because you're not...
5: Stuck in your bathing machine that's rolling you to the water, you can play on the sand, you can swim, as Kristen said, without being metaphorically weighed down. I was pretty impressed with like the history of the bikini. But then as Kristen just said, we gotta bring Sports Illustrated into it.
4: The first quote unquote Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition came out in nineteen sixty four. But it didn't have anything to do with a bunch of sports editors wanting to publish photos of scantily clad women. It really had to do with a lack of sports news to cover. So they were like, hey, we got some extra editorial space to fill. I've got an idea. Let's put in a picture of a woman in a bikini.
5: Yeah, it was all about like going diving in the Caribbean.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, there
4: was almost even, you know, a little bit of a story. They didn't even call it the swimsuit issue.
5: You know, it was just like, hey, here's some. Here's some things you can wear the next time you're in the Caribbean, being yeah,
0: sporty.
4: It didn't actually become a standalone product until 1997 when a very young, very buxom Tyra Banks in a very iconic photo uh, graced the cover of the very for- first actual standalone Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition.
1: This episode is brought to you by Snagajob.
2: brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the pnc financial services group incorporated pnc bank a national association member fdic
0: happy pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop Now, I think
5: the reason that people get so worked up about the swimsuit issue is that very quickly they abandon traditional ideas of what a swimsuit is. Like 1978, Cheryl Teagues wears a see-through fishnet one piece. So at that point, you're like, this is not really illustrating something I can wear while I'm being sporty on the beach. This is just you're trying to see through.
4: And then in 1999, we have Heidi Klum standing there in a quote-unquote painted swimsuit, which is Actually, Kloom just standing naked with some tie-dye paint all over her torso.
5: So I think that that's part of why it's so controversial is like, you know, if you can separate all the body issues from the bikini and then just think, oh, this is something I wear while I'm on the beach. Like Gabriel Reese, the volleyball player, competes in a bikini. Mm-hmm. And so... If you can take this thing that was like, Hey, here's some, here's a healthy woman perfectly happy in the surf. Let's have her hold her boobs and paint a bikini on her. Then yeah, the bikini comes like this objectification of women.
4: Yeah. I was really surprised also when I was researching this subject because I, and maybe it was just because I wasn't looking hard enough, but I did not come across any academic papers as I was ex- expecting to really dissecting, you know, the, feminism and the bikini and kind of this idea of, you know, women being objectified as sex objects when they put on this bikini, like what kind of messages are we sending out to people? Is it healthy for us to wear these things? All of of this stuff, you know, but then I came to the conclusion that maybe that's because it should be an empowering thing. And it's actually, I... (laughs) largely blame uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition for attaching all these body issues uh, to bikinis because I feel like it wasn't until Sports Illustrated that you have this cultural idea of what a woman should look like in a bikini. Not to say that, you know, Sports Illustrated is responsible for body issues that women have probably had throughout time, um, but I do think that it probably had a lot to do with um feeling inadequate when you put one on, even if you're perfectly healthy and fit. Right, and I liked this quote um,
5: from Slate by Brian Curtis. Uh, he wrote, Sports Illustrated editors have always felt obliged to pretend that the swimsuit issue is a source of massive national controversy. This is best observed in their insistence two weeks after the annual issue on printing correspondence from outraged parents and besmirched librarians. So here you have this magazine that, you know, 51 weeks out of the year is just... Football, basketball, baseball, etc. And then when we got the year, they're like half-naked women. This is so crazy. We're getting banned in the supermarkets because people aren't don't know what to do. And I think that they, you know, themselves fed that sort of spectacle of, hey, this is this is crazy that we do this. Well, L- it, look how radical we are.
4: And it also overly sexualizes the bikini. What started out as basically a uniform for a recreational activity, just like you put on jogging shorts when you're going to go for a run, it turns it into um, something totally eroticized. I mean, when Molly and I were talking about this earlier, kind of um, coming to terms with, I guess, the message that it sends when you are walking down the beach in a bikini kind of bearing all. Um, it's kind of hard because... I don't think that you can ever remove the erotic from a naked woman's body, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that that's part of it. But I, I think it is unfortunate that the bikini has become such a source of angst for women, um, whereas it should be, I think, a source of empowerment. Yeah. Well,
5: on that note, I mean, I can't say it any better myself. We want your thoughts on the bikini. Our email address is momstuffathowstuffworks.com. Is the bikini empowering? Is it the worst thing that ever happened? Are you excited about summer? Are you excited
4: that vintage one piece myos are coming back into style? I know. They are you can find some really cute Mayos this season. Very flattering. Well, send us your thoughts. Our email is momstuff at or if you would like to share your thoughts with other listeners, you should head over to our Facebook page. It is Facebook.com backslash stuff mom never told you, or you can just search stuff mom never told you in your handy Facebook search bar, as you probably know. <laughs> And now we'll do a little bit of Lister
5: Mail. We're going to summarize a little bit today and not read line by line just because we got a lot of email on our Japanese condom sales podcast. Very mixed reactions. Um, So let's get into some of them. So first, let's start with a pretty, uh, pretty good correction I think we got that we may not have defined all the terms related to manga and otaku culture, as narrowly as we might have. And so we might have uh, painted all people who read manga as people who slept with body pillows. Right. And that is definitely not true. You can you can obviously make... There are tons of genres, and we might have just sort of grouped them all together for ease of our own podcast, which is never the way we should do things here.
4: Yeah, and uh, speaking of the otaku moe and sleeping with body pillows, we were called out for jumping on a media trend that... Uh, paints an unfair portrait of a very small group of men in Japan and extrapolates that to the entire population. And that wasn't what Molly and I were trying to do. Admittedly, there were not that many articles that we found specifically about the moe associated with the the pillow thing, okay? Um, but there were a lot of articles going back to the mid-90s about this idea of Japanese men, um, some Japanese men, as herbivores versus carnivores, which we talked about. And if you want more info on that, of course, you can go back and listen to the podcast. But I would like to clarify that our research did go back more than... Uh, the episode of 30 Rock with James Franco in an article in the New York Times Magazine. Right.
5: You know, people thought it was just one, one weird story we had gotten out of Japan and we weren't taking Japan culture as a whole. But as you said, they go back many years. Mm-hmm. Now, let's also point out that the title was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Yes. Because we got many emails that tried to explain to us all the reasons why Japanese condom sales might be dropping. And these included things like the aging of the Japanese population, the Japanese attitude towards work. One woman wrote in and she had a Japanese boyfriend and he has to work. You know, 60 hours a week. And Mm -hmm. so she's like, of course, you know, you you sleep when you get home after that kind of work week. You may not be having as much sex. Um, One person pointed out that the age at which Japanese youth lose their virginity is actually not that different than in the U.S.,
4: so obviously, you know, it's it's a complex issue, and the and the point we were trying to make with the title was, admittedly, to get your attention, which it did, but it wasn't to try to. The answer to that question in the podcast was not uh, Japanese condom sales have dropped because people read manga that wasn't the point at all yeah so thanks to all of you though who wrote in, re- in response to it whether you had criticisms or praise molly and i need to hear it all um so again our email is at com. you can also follow us during the week on our twitter it is momstuffpodcast join us on there and then you can finally head over to our brand new blog called Stuff Mom Never Told You, huh, surprise, and you can find that blog at HowStuffWorks.com.
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more works? Check out our blogs on the
1: HowStuffWorks.com homepage.
2: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com.
2: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake Kits...